Hey murder lovers, this is Fatina, and you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm really excited to do the second installment of the updates of Where Are They Now? I've gone through episodes 51 through 100 to try and get updates on the cases that we've already covered. And I'll tell you what, through the... Through these 50 episodes, I found some really good updates, so I'm excited to share those with you. I'm going to go ahead and get started with episode number 52, which was the episode that we did on Selena Quintanilla. She was a recording artist here in the U.S. that did um, primarily Spanish music, but she did some songs in English as well. And for this episode, I had a really good time doing the research for it and telling you guys about the episode because... It happened when I was really young as far as when she was killed, but I did not know all the details as much as I thought I did until I dove in and did some research on it. So the update on this case, not so much an update on the case, but an update about Selena in general. Her family has released what is now a 13-track record, was released on August 26, 2022, It is available anywhere where you get your music. I have downloaded it on my iTunes music, and the album itself is called Moonchild Mixes. Her family released this track posthumously to show almost what could have been of Selena and her recording life, her life as an artist. The songs were all recorded when she was about 13 to 16 years old. They were all recorded on vinyl, so they had to digitally remaster all of the new songs. And her brother, who has, uh, who took charge in this effort, said that they did some remastering of what her voice could have sounded like with the years added to it. So they did uh, lower her register just a little bit. He said it was to make her sound a little bit more mature. Again, she recorded those when she was 13 to 16 years old, but now they've released an entire album now with all new songs that no one had ever heard of uh, with Selena. So if if you were ever thinking, I wonder what would have happened with her life as an artist, now we get a little glimpse into what could have been. So that is the first update. It's a good update. I'm glad that that happened. Some people have some mixed feelings on it. I don't. Um, um, I like the record, the entire album, and I already have my favorites. So if you haven't had a chance to go ahead and listen to it, go ahead and listen to it. Let me know if you have any favorites on that. The second update is on episode number 54. This was the one with Joel Guy Jr., And the update comes from December of 2020. He was a man who murdered and dismembered both of his parents on the weekend of Thanksgiving in 2016. And just a little recap, he um, brutally murdered his parents. One of the most uh, infamous pieces of this case is that there is video evidence of the police walking into the scene and there is a pot on the stove that we now know held his mother's head in it. He put his parents' different body pieces into tubs as well with different chemicals trying to dissolve the bodies, but um, they caught him before all that actually went through. So the update is that he tried to get a new trial on grounds that he did not receive a fair trial due to the pandemic. He was 
unanimously convicted of seven counts, which were two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of first-degree felony murder, and two counts of abuse to a corpse. This was a unanimous seven-vote count on both of these. The judge denied a new trial, saying that they were upholding a decision uh, for the previous trial, which had over 700 pieces of evidence and 27 witnesses. I don't know exactly what they think the pandemic did to change the decision that was made, but uh, the judge upheld his uh, current conviction, which was guilty on all counts. The third update comes from episode 56. This is one that is dubbed the Scream Murder. Cassie Jo Stoddard was a babysitter. She was babysitting for her aunt and uncle at the time when she was at their house. And two boys, both 16 years old at the time, Brian Draper and Tori Adamsick, came to her house. And again, quick recap, they played out what they thought was a... A night of horror. They were trying to mimic the Scream movies where they turned off the lights on her, they terrified her, and ultimately stabbed her 30 times. The update on this one is that during 2020, they both filed to try and vacate their sentences and their convictions because they were 16 and tried as adults at the time. And they were doing this on the new Supreme Court ruling that the that a life sentence can be seen sometimes as cruel and unusual punishment for anyone that was sentenced that has a minor with an adult charge. Both of them were denied this motion. Now, moving on to episode 57 and 58. This is a double one. It took us two episodes to get through it. Mackenzie did a fantastic job of clearing up of making sense of what the documentary The Jinx was for us. This was a documentary that spotlighted Robert Durst and his life and the murders and disappearances that surrounded him because there was no convictions, no trials for any of the people that had gone missing around him. It kind of seemed like he was a jinx. Right. So she did a fantastic job of getting a lot of people on board to watch that documentary and make sense of it. Now, so the updates on this all, we did that case in 2020. This was after the release of the jinx. But after that, a lot had a lot of things happened. So his trial was first postponed to April of 2021. This was due to the pandemic, the courts being backed up, people going um, the court shutting down and not e being able to hear any new cases. So it was postponed till April of 2021. In May of 2021, there was a motion to postpone indefinitely by the defense and ask that he be released on bail since he had been recently diagnosed with bladder cancer. This was denied. And at the same time that they were in court and this motion was denied, one of the jurors was dismissed for ignoring the instructions that they were given and they followed the news and the trial in the media. Then in June of 2021, Robert was hospitalized and the prosecution brought up some allegations that they thought that Robert Durst was faking. And that's because there was recordings of some of the calls that he made from prison 
from jail saying that he was willing to fake dementia only to have a mistrial in this whole case. Now, it turns out that when he was hospitalized, he was diagnosed with a UTI and sepsis. This was, and at the same time, in June of 2021, this is when his brother took the stand and said that his brother wanted to kill him, and that's why he had to hire security to protect himself from his brother. In July of 21, the defense asked for another emergency halt on the case due to poor medical conditions. This was again denied, and the prosecution at that point rested their case, and this was after 11 weeks of testimony and evidence being presented to the jurors. In September 17, on September 17, 2021, the jury actually convicted Robert Durst for first-degree murder of Susan Berman. And this was this conviction, he would be facing up to a life sentence. On September 24th, 2021, his defense requested a new trial, again, citing COVID, citing the pandemic, and thinking that the jury was not able to fulfill their duties after such a long break from the first time that they postponed the trial. This was again denied. On October 14th, 2021, Robert Durst was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. And then on January 10th, 2022, Robert Durst passed due to cardiac arrest. He was age 78 at the time when this happened. So that is as many updates as I could find on the case. That is, of course, the quickest recap I can give you on it. But at the the family for Susan is happy that he saw his day in court and that he was convicted and sentenced to life. Um, of course, it's not the outcome that anyone wanted to see, but from the beginning of his trial for Susan Berman's murder, I think as an audience, as the public, we could see that his medical condition was already declining and we knew that there wasn't much hope that he would survive to see much of his sentence, whatever that was. Moving along to episode 59, 60, and 61. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm already thinking of what we had to go through to to do this case. It took us three episodes. And this was the case that we covered for Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson, and their unborn child, who they meant to name Connor. So this case in and of itself um here in our room discussing this case it was one that uh Mackenzie and I definitely butted heads at not to say we didn't have lively discussions on it but I think in general there are a lot a lot of things to say for both sides of the argument right so there is an update on this case and this one I spent a good amount of time looking into because I'm definitely invested in what's going on. So one of the jurors, which you might know just visually, and you you might not know her by name, but the media dubbed her Strawberry Shortcake. She was juror number seven, and that was Rochelle Nice. She had red hair, and she was definitely the first one to offer up a comment when the decision was brought down by the jurors and she definitely made kind of a name for herself in this trial in in her own 
way. So Rochelle Nice stands out because there was some controversy on whether or not she was too emotionally invested or if she would have had the right state of mind to make a decision on such a heavy case. So it turns out that Scott's attorneys are asking for a retrial because of juror number seven, because of Rochelle Nice. They are alleging that Rochelle is guilty of misconduct and that this warrants them to have a retrial for Scott Peterson. Rochelle Rice, just like any other juror on this case, had to take a survey prior to being seated on it. Before she was even seated on this, she had to, she was the third backup juror. So two other jurors had to be dismissed before they called her in to serve on this jury. The survey that they had to fill out prior to even being thought of as a possible juror, it is a total of 23 pages and 163 questions. Now, I don't have access to the full questionnaire, but there are some of the questions that she was asked in this questionnaire that are being brought as evidence as to why they should get a retrial. The questions that are in question are... Do you have any opinions about people involved in extramarital affairs? She marked no. So the defense is alleging that she did have a opinion about extramarital affairs because her husband had cheated on her prior to this case even happening. Now we know this and we know that she had harbored feelings about this because after the case was over after the conviction and the sentencing was done, Rochelle took it upon herself to write multiple dozens of letters to Scott Peterson while he's in jail. And some of those letters are saying that she doesn't like cheaters because her husband cheated on her, made her life hell. So they're using that saying that she already had a predisposed feeling about cheaters and extramarital affairs prior to even being seated as a juror. A different question, a two-part question, was have you ever been involved in a lawsuit and have you or any close friends or relatives been victims or witness of a crime? She marked both of those no, that she had never been involved in a lawsuit and then she or anyone that she knows been a victim of a crime. Now, in 2000, so prior to any of this happening, Rochelle got a restraining order against her husband's ex-girlfriend because she was afraid of what the ex-girlfriend would do to her because she was being stalked by her and Rochelle was pregnant at the time. Some people, especially the defense, that believe, A, she was lying, knowing that a restraining order is a type of lawsuit and she would have known this because of the procedure that she would have had gone through to get that restraining order against the ex-girlfriend. And then two, has she been a victim and being stalked leading up to a restraining order against the person that's doing the stalking is being a victim of a crime. So they are hanging their hats on the fact that they think she purposely lied on these questions so that she could be on the jury for this trial. Now there's a second juror that testified 
during this retrial hearing saying that the moment they walked into the room to deliberate, before they had a chance to say anything else, Rochelle spoke up and said, let's get Mr. Peterson for what he did to Little Man. Now, Little Man, if you follow this case at all, is what Rochelle Nice uses to refer to to the unborn child, who we know would have been named Connor, but she dubbed him Little Man, and that is what she used as his nickname throughout the entire time that she was being heard in the press. So she used Little Man to refer to the unborn baby. If you've ever been in a court proceeding or if you um, a little bit about it, you cannot discuss whether or not you think someone is guilty or not guilty, at least when you go into the deliberation room, until after everything has been discussed, after everyone has had a chance to say something, because going in there and making such a bold statement before anyone's had a time to sit down and think through their thoughts can poison the pool of jurors. So Rochelle Nice was called to testify in this retrial hearing. And the only reason that she testified is because both the defense and the prosecution granted her immunity from being prosecuted for any misconduct. So that is the only reason that she gave testimony for this retrial misconduct hearing. Now, the judge assigned to the case now has until mid-December to make the decision on whether or not Scott Peterson's going to get a retrial. So the prior conviction of guilty and his sentencing would all be thrown out if he's granted a retrial and they would have to go through the entire process again. Judge has also asked both the prosecution and the defense to put together a memorandum for her and, and put it in front of her by mid-September so she has a final, basically, summary from each side on why they, whether they think they should or shouldn't be retried. So that is very interesting. I'm interested. I'm invested. I will let you guys know any updates as I see them come through. I'm following most of the Facebook pages and everything that gives me updates on this. And we should know, we could know as early as October, um, it could be November, but it could be as late as December. So as late as December, we could know whether or not Scott Peterson is going to get an entire retrial on this. So again, his entire conviction would be thrown out and there would be another trial, another court case as to whether or not he's guilty of the murder of Lacey Peterson and their unborn child. All right, moving on. So episode number 74, we covered the case of Gerald Bollinger. This is one that included a triple homicide. He killed his wife, daughter, and mistress, who surprised him in his new home and he put them all in a shed and then hightailed it out of there, was never seen again. His car was then found on the Bridger Teton National Park. The car was abandoned, but we know that he did have some skills as an outdoorsman, so it's possible that he just went into the woods and then if he came out again, probably took on a different uh, different appearance and different identity, et cetera, et cetera. But his car was found on July 12th, 2019. Now, although we did cover this case in um, 
after that, and we knew that his car was found, it wasn't until this month, August 2022, that a family filed a lawsuit against the National Park Rangers and then the police that came out afterwards too. So Bollinger's car was found on July 12th. And on July 20th, uh, eight days later, in 2019, the Hemley family is alleging in their lawsuit that they were pulled over by the Rangers at the Yellowstone National Park. It was both it was him, his wife, and their young daughter in the vehicle. They were in the national park doing national park things. And they saw the siren. He saw the sirens behind them. He thought they must be looking for someone else. So he pulled over on the shoulder to the side of the road to let officers and the people with the sirens go through. This is what he thought he was doing. And what happened was that one of the rangers actually went in front of him and crossed the vehicle in front of his, and the other one stayed behind him. So obviously, he knows that he doesn't know what's going on at this point. And apparently, the rangers held him there for over an hour at gunpoint, asked him to throw his keys out the window, and everyone, including his small kid, to put their hands out, hold him up for an hour. And then only after an hour passed that they come over and ask him for identification. So for an entire hour, for an entire hour they had this family held at gunpoint, held against their will because they don't even know what's going on at this point. Once they finally went over and asked him for identification, they also showed him a picture of who they were actually looking for, which is Gerald Blonder. He bore zero resemblance to him, so now he is filing a lawsuit for both economical damages and for the emotional damages that the Rangers did to him and his family for holding them for over an hour um, against their will and with really no basis. The car didn't match anything. He had no resemblance to um, Mike Bollinger or anything, so this lawsuit was just recently filed. We don't know what's going to come of it yet, but you Bet your ass if the police held me for over an hour without even telling me what is going on and terrifying my family, I would have done the exact same thing. Moving on to episode number 78. This was uh, the Slender Man stabbing where Morgan Geyser and Anisa Weir, Wire, still how to pronounce her name is up in the air. This, this stabbing happened in 2014, and the case was about these two girls who were really young at the time, I believe they were 12 years old, stabbed their friend thinking that they were appeasing the Slender Man legend. They were doing it to get in good favor with him, that they were going to walk into the forest and walk into like the happy place with Slender Man kind of weird still still kind of don't get it but in September on September 13th 2021 Anissa was actually released from the Winnebago Mental Health Institution she was released with the 
couple conditions. She would have GPS monitoring on her ankle, so she would have tracking at all times. She would be, she has to live with her father at all times, so she can't go out and find other roommates, etc., etc. She has to live with her father. She can use the internet only when she's at home. She cannot use any internet outside of her home, and that's because all her internet activity is monitored by the uh, Department of Corrections at all times. I don't know what parameters they've used or put in place for the use of the internet, but I do know that it's restricted to using it only while she's at home. She still has to go through regular counseling and go through regular visits, so there is parameters. One of the things that she brought up as to why she should be released is because she said that she and her doctors both thought that she was a good candidate for being out in society and being a member of society, but she would have to actually be out in society or a member of her community be in her community to show that she was. So one of the conditions uh, was that there had to be three different doctors testifying that she would be a good candidate for this release and that she wasn't going to be a danger to society. Of course, the courts put different parameters on it, but they still released her. So she's out and living with her father now. And that was as of September of 2021. Now her co-defendant, Morgan Geyser, who was st- who was at the same institution at the Winnebago Mental Winnebago Mental Health Institute, tried using the same grounds to get released as did Anissa. And again, there had to there had to be three different doctors that said that she was fit for society, fit to go back into her community. And with the very first doctor and their recommendation, although the recommendations specifics have not been released, it was enough for Morgan, along with her attorney, to decide they weren't going to fight this and they retracted their motion to try and get release for Morgan. Now, she has been diagnosed schizophrenic, so I don't know if that is part of what that first doctor put in there to the, into their report and why their attorney and Morgan decided not to pursue it any further. Definitely seems like a reason, but now one of the two girls who had been previously found guilty of murdering their friend um, in this Slender Man case... Um, has been released and is back now in society. So episode number 89 was the Salem Witch Trials. This was an interesting one for me. And and I think I discussed it a little further when we did the case. I think this is one that I covered. And it gave me a lot of insight and put a lot of things into better perspective as far as what I thought the witch trials were, what they included, how they happened, and how these women, men and women, were prosecuted during the these trials. And so that was an interesting case in and of itself. But most recently, the update for that one is that in May of 2022, so just a couple of months ago, Massachusetts lawmakers took to heart what an eighth grade class was trying to do. An eighth grade class had decided to take up the case of Elizabeth Johnson Jr. 
and try to learn their legal system by trying to figure out how to get her exonerated. So part of their civics course was to try and navigate the legal system, how to submit forms, how to talk to their local legislators and lawmakers and trying to get this woman exonerated. And finally, the Massachusetts lawmakers formally exonerated Elizabeth Johnson Jr., clearing her name 329 years after she was convicted of witchcraft in 1693 and had been sentenced to death. She was the last one to be cleared in all of this. So officially all the people that were officially convicted in the Salem witch trials have been cleared now. And the last update comes from episode 90, The Conjuring House. And this one is interesting because I definitely dove into it a little bit further and I may or may not be planning a trip to Massachusetts. The house went up for sale. The house where the conjuring happened, Amateurville Horror, I believe Mackenzie covered this case. It was listed in September of 2021. Now we know what the house market, the way it is here, at least in the U.S., it definitely sold over asking price. And in May of 2022, a local Boston developer who who has an interest in the paranormal bought the house for 25% over asking for $1.525 million. Uh, We know this is a big house with some property around it. That developer's name is Jacqueline Nunez. She bought the house knowing, of course, the entire history on it. And the prior owners, the Heinzens, had some rules that they wanted followed by the new owner of the house, whoever that was going to be. And Jacqueline Nunez agreed to those rules to that contract prior to buying the house. Some of the rules that she has agreed to are that the business... The business is going to continue in the house. Um, They're going to continue doing nightly paranormal investigations. They're going to continue doing day tours and allow to live stream events. I went to their website. It's not expensive at all to do like an hour tour. I think it's like 40 bucks to do an hour tour. They give you the history of the house. They walk you around the house. If you want to do an overnight experience where they let you record anything you want and do basically anything you want. Of course, I'm sure it's without destroying the house. It's up, It's $165, so it's not bad at all. They're still running this business to the day. The last requirement that the Heinzens had before the new buyer took over was that whoever bought the house could not stay there year-round. And that was just something that they put in there for the safety of the new buyer, saying that no one as healthy as they may be should be subject to year round in that house. That So Jacqueline moved in immediately, but has plans to vacation elsewhere for a couple of months out of the year so that she could fulfill that part of the contract where she's not staying in that house full time. So those are the updates of episodes 50 through 100 on anything that I could find updates on. Um, I'm really excited about 
finally knowing the outcome of the Scott Peterson retrial, I don't know that I've made up my mind on whether or not this should be retried. I want to go back and listen to the Rochelle Nice testimony that she gave in this retrial motion to see if it, whether or not it's something that she did with intent to lie or if it's something that um, her defense says she's just bad at taking surveys. Some people are just bad at taking tests, but I don't know that a survey, a questionnaire like this could be seen as a quiz or a test or anything. It's not the, you know, it's not the SATs or anything. So I, I think it's interesting to say the least. And I am eager to find out what this judge is going to determine. Obviously, it would be huge if this has to be retried and go through court all over again. So I, I don't want to say that I want to see that again. I think um, it, it was a huge media frenzy to begin with and to do it all over again, um, if anything, maybe a bench trial, but I don't know that a jury trial would, would be fair because at this point, I don't think there would be any impartial or a person who hasn't formed an opinion based on social media or media in general. So I don't think that that's fair for anyone to, to have them go through that again. But anywho, I think uh, back to regular programming next week since um, the next set of 50 is not a full 50 yet. Go back to regular programming next week. I'm excited for that. Again, thank you for allowing me some time to catch my breath on this and give you updates on these episodes while I figure out what's going to happen for the, for the future of it. And I think we're just going to go back to normal murdery cases next week. So I look forward to that and I will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.